I'm so glad you've made it to East City Wesleyan's podcast uh, page. Uh, my name's Brett Jones. I'm the lead pastor here at East City Wesleyan. Uh, if you would like to find out anything more about uh, who we are and uh, how we're trying to learn to grow closer to God and serve our community, uh, you'd be welcome to get in touch with us at the contact details on the page. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and, and see how we can serve you. This reading comes from the New International Version, Ephesians uh, 4, verses 1 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says... When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Thank you, Lord, for this reading. You know, it's a tough thing when a family falls apart. Tough thing. Even so... More so when your children are at the heart of it. I don't know how they I don't know how they handled the news of that day. The news that their, their youngest son was gone, murdered. I don't know how they handled the news that the killer was their older son. Heartbreaking. 
When you bring kids into the world, this is not what you have in mind, right? This is not the dream. This is not how you see it uh, playing out. This day, the dream of family life, just gone in an instant. And this was the day they lost both sons. Because the older son, he moved out east. It wasn't going to work with him sticking around. And so they tried again and they started a new family. But you, you've got to wonder whether they, whether they ever really got over it. And how often they thought back to that day that it all went wrong. Not, not the day that the older son killed the younger. But before their, before their boys were even born. Back in the garden. Yeah, that garden. That garden. Where the dream of, of family and community and living life the way God intended was shattered for the first time. Will you pray with me? Father God, it's almost unnerving to find the whole human race coming unstuck in just the first few pages of your word to us. By chapter 3, it's all going wrong. By chapter 4, it's death. It's destruction of family life. And yet, God, you desire to redeem and remake and recreate. And so, God, as we gather together, as people who live our own brokenness, God, would you reshape us and recreate us and remake us in your image? And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. See, if there is a rule, a rule for living in our time, in our culture, I think it is this. Image is everything. Image is everything. It's not a new thought. Uh, Andre Agassi actually uh, kind of made that a world-famous statement as a one-liner for a Canon ad. Image is everything. All around the world it went. But you know, the truth of it was that it haunted him. This truth <laughs> haunted him. It's no coincidence, coincidence that when his biography came out, and I've read it, and it's an, it's an astonishing uh, book, it was titled almost the reverse of this idea that images everything. Here's how, what he titled the book. Open. Open. And it wasn't just a play on words. It wasn't just a play on words. This book is a, is a naked moment from a man who had constructed his whole professional life on a carefully manicured 
image. And the book is a, is a powerful reveal of the cost of living a hidden life, a life that's not true or authentic. But I would say Canon and Agassiz are actually right. I would say image really is everything. It, it really is. Who you believe you are is a foundational truth for your life and my life. The question for us is, in whose image are we made? In whose image are we made? In whose image are you and I being remade? Genesis, I think, helps us understand this in powerful ways. You and I are actually created in the image of God. Image is everything. Genesis 1, so God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Genesis 2, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Images everything. And we see that humanity is this intoxicating blend being created from the raw elements of creation and the divine breath of God. And we see that being created in the image of God is not to be created in a singular way. It's plural. So the Lord God, uh, this is in uh, Genesis 2.21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. See, when God creates in his image, he creates a family. He creates a community because this is also who God is. Because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The, the indivisible God, the three in one. See, God's very nature is relationship. And so when he creates children who will be in relationship with him, he also creates, creates them to be in relationship with each other. Because image is everything. These foundational moments in these first two chapters of Genesis shape everything. And then, chapter 3. Adam and Eve go on the worst date in history. I think, I think it must be said. They order the wrong dish on a bad recommendation. Ever done that before? They realize too late they're underdressed for the occasion. And then they end up blaming each other. 
for what went wrong. And Genesis 3 is a story where two essential relationships are broken. Our, our relationship with God, the vertical part of thinking about relationship, communion with God, but also horizontally, us being in full communion with each other, connection with each other, community with each other. The family is this, is this first expression of divinely ordained community. But both of these axes are, are intimately linked to being created in the image of God. So, so we were created, with, uh, created for relationship with God, and that was broken. We were meant to live out of his breath being breathed into us. We were meant to live in that way. But we were also created as relational beings in the image of God. And we were, we were meant to live out of that part of the image of God as well. And so I think we see this in Genesis 3, and we see it in our own lives. The, the result of these two relationships being broken is that we hide. We hide. Not just from God, as Adam and Eve did in the garden. Then the man and the, and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It's probably the worst example of a game of hide and seek. I know, we'll hide from God. That sounds like a likely... But we do it as well, right? It's no less a challenge for us. But we also hide from each other. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, it says in verse 7, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So they needed to hide. See, last week uh, in our series... Uh, rewiring discipleship was about this rewiring of our rhythms with God, right? So that we give God as much opportunity as he wants to take with us to be present in our lives. And in fact, these rhythms of engagement with God are a way of, of not hiding, of coming out into the open and saying, here I am, God, you can, I'm here. So many of our other activities, the things that distract us in life, are ways of hiding, ways of choosing not to be fully present. And so when we think about rewiring our rhythms, we are thinking about coming out into the open and and inviting God back into our lives as we seek solitude, as we seek to engage with him. This week, we're focusing on the other part of this equation, the rewiring of our community, uh, where we learn to stop hiding from each other. And there's a big difference, as I said last week, between solitude, which is a necessary part of life for all of us, and isolation, where we find ourselves hiding from God and each other. So I want to give you a moment. You've got your journals, hopefully, and if you haven't, um, grab, grab, uh, grab something or a phone or something and take a note. 
as you think about this possibility that you and I are hiding, what are you hiding from? Where are you hiding? From who are you hiding? Take a moment to grab what God is revealing to you. Well, I love the dream of the church that Ephesians, the the letter to the church at Ephesus, uh, captures. It's an astonishing uh, vision for what the church uh, can look like. And actually, um, uh, a chapter back from what John read in in Ephesians 3.16 is this big idea that you and I can be filled up uh, to the measure of all the fullness of God. And it's captured in a prayer that Paul prays. This is part of the vision that we, we are recapturing as we, as we think about the series. If I pray, Paul says, I sorry, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses, and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's the dream. That's the dream for us and God. That's the dream for the, for the vertical relationship. We might be full, full of the fullness of God. And then in chapter 4, which John just read from, uh, Paul has added again, this time it's not a picture of individual fullness. It's a picture of individuals overflowing with the, the, the love of God, the fullness of God, being connected to one another. And it's really, I think, a labor of love. But first he describes what it's like when we get it wrong. And I think in some sense it's a more familiar picture to us, what the picture of getting this thing wrong looks like. Verse 14 in chapter 4, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. I don't know what pictures come to you when you think about that playing out. I mean, I think this is, um, this is the office gossip tree playing out. This is the, the social media beat-ups. This is playgroup, playground teasing. This is coffee group slander. This is, I don't know, fake news and Russian trolls. This is family miscommunication about which is best to eat. It's a picture of instability, of, of almost insanity, of a kind of a craziness. And then Paul offers an alternative. And, it, and instead, this is what he says in verse 15, 
Instead, <laughs> instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Such an astonishing picture of how God intends us to grow together, to be, to be the church, to be, to be family. And I think there are some great affirmations that we can draw uh, from these verses. It requires everyone. It requires everyone. That it's a, it's a, it's a labor of love. And that everyone gets built up. Everyone gets built up as part of it. And that together we become something that we, we cannot be on our own. And we certainly cannot be without God. It's an astonishing picture. It sits in stark contrast to the tragedy of Genesis 3, where the family that God creates for intimate community with him and with each other makes this wrong turn so quickly. And, and, and what that sows into ch chapter 4, where we see the first family dissolving, fragmenting, disintegrating, as brother kills brother. We have this amazing picture instead of what God wants to do. In fact, I think Jesus would, would even say that it's, it's, it's revolutionary, it's, it's radical. Um, in John 13, 34, he puts it this way, a new command I give you, a fresh command, something radical, something revolutionary, something that is going to change the way we do it. Love one another. Love one another. And then he sets the kind of the tone for that as I have loved you. That's the time. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Not, those, not the picture that comes from Genesis 3 or Genesis 4, not the picture that comes from that, that being tossed and thrown by the waves, but instead being known by love for one another, love that is characterized by how Jesus loves. But I think it requires um, a rewired community. It requires that we learn to stop hiding. Uh, and here's why I think this is critical to our vision, to become people growing. Because I think the role of community and transformation is, is critical and something that I think uh, we can go deep with. Here's something I um, prepared earlier. Um, so this is a bit of a way of thinking about how community frees the spirit to transform individuals who are a part of it. If you start at the top with this idea of radical acceptance, this is what it means to love as Jesus loves, right? To love with radical acceptance. At the heart of community is the idea that it's safe to be naked. Now, I am speaking metaphorically. <laughs> so let's just all hold that thought that way. But we get to live 
fig leaf free. We get to live without shame. That's what Adam and Eve were were looking to cover. And that will only happen if we accept each other in a radical way. So with all our cellulite and pimples and bad hair and awkward social interactions, all of those things that we, we do. See, community often doesn't get off the ground if you and I are not loving as Jesus did. Radical acceptance frees us because this kind of building up that Ephesians 4 is talking about only happens in love. That's what the scriptures call us to. Second part of this idea is that if we create an environment of radical acceptance, then we can also begin to engage in what I call dangerous authenticity. Dangerous authenticity. Because if it's safe to be naked, then we can engage in the danger of keeping it real. Of being honest. Really honest. One of the most amazing gifts we can give to each other. The freedom to be honest. But it's dangerous, right? Because when we give that gift... It's precious, fragile, easily broken. And so it's dangerous. But it's where we stop hiding, where we stop pretending, stop living out of the image is everything mantra. Start to live instead in the image of God. And embrace that we are children of God Um, being remade in the image of God after what was broken in the garden that day. Last step, awkward accountability. If we are able to radically accept one another and offer each other the gift of dangerous authenticity, then we might be able to offer the awkwardness of accountability. Because let's be honest, accountability is awkward. It's awkward to give, right? And it's very awkward to receive. Accountability is tough. Uh, How Ephesians 4 describes it is speaking the truth in love. It's the nakedness of speaking the truth in love to one another. But nonetheless, speaking it. Speaking it in love and hearing it in love. Which bits of this maybe do you struggle with? You're going to get a chance to talk about this in small groups this week, including two, our two new pop-up small groups, which are awesome. Which parts do you struggle with? Take a moment, capture how God is speaking to you. So what this means for us as we rewire our discipleship is that we will not only learn to be fully present with God, we'll learn to be 
fully present in community because we need others, others need us, we're essential. And as much as we're called to, to, to solitude in life with God, we, we also live in the tension of this naked community. Both are essential, solitude, time with God, and time with each other. And they will both influence each other. And part of the journey of discipleship is recognizing the tension of this, that the vertical axis of our relationship with God and the horizontal axis of our relationship with God are both things that the cross has in sight. They're both things that draw us to the cross. And so genuine, genuine transformation, becoming people growing for real, requires that we confront what is hidden and suppressed, and it will require to live out that uncomfortable exposure that community brings. And this is the journey that we get to be on together, learning to be fully present in community, not hidden from one another, but learning to accept one another, be real with one another, and offer each other the truth in love of accountability. And I don't know where I would be if people hadn't offered me the kind of accountability that I've been offered. It's a huge gift when people hold you to account. It really is. And there are some different rhythms that we might engage, some rewiring of community. It's a strange thing to to express, but Sunday worship is one of the joys of my life. And I can't really make sense of the vast difference between the experience of being in worship with God's people as someone who is now a believer and that the yawning chasm between that and my experience of church when I was younger, when it was boring and repetitive and irrelevant, I almost feel a little bit ashamed (laughs) of of that because it's such, such an amazing place for me to be. There's nothing like being carried into worship by the singing and the prayers and and the readings of others. And while I experience God through through other ways, there is something unique about gathering together to to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church collectively. And and to be clear, when I talk about what the Spirit is saying to the church, I I don't mean exclusively from the message, but from the activities of worship that we engage from the moment we walk through the door and begin to uh, relate to one another as, as brothers and sisters in Christ to the moment that we leave. And to hear from the Spirit is to embrace all of that that we do and, uh, and open ourselves to what God is saying to us. But it's more than Sunday for me too. I, I, I dream that everyone, all of us, will be part of a life-giving group that, that reflects God's design for community. That's, that's why we started a pop-up small group in our house, because we're not part of a small group, but we are now, uh, for, since Thursday. It's a part of our life that is so important to us. But whether it's a small group or a, or a mentor, mentoring relationship or a, or a prayer group, these relationships of community, um, here's something I hope you're aware of. Um, and if something goes without saying, it's usually good to say it. 
We believe that God is leading us as a church community. I'm not one to say, can I get an amen on that? (laughs) But we believe that God is leading us as a church community. That we are living out our value of being Holy Spirit-led. Like it's, it's, it's DNA that God would lead us. That's the level of expectation. And I, I believe me, a decent amount of, of, uh, of prayer and reflection goes into what we're doing on Sundays. And those who are involved, uh, you know, we're none of us are perfectly hearing from, from God, but we're trying to be really available to hear from Him. In 2023, here's what I'd love to see. I'd love to see all of us jumping on board our rhythm of community. Really jumping on board that. Where we're listening for what God is saying to us collectively on Sundays and then taking it and applying it more, more deeply in our, in our personal devotions and through, through small group life. Where we're, where we're gathering and our question always is, what is the Spirit saying to us? As a church... As individuals, what is the Spirit saying to us? Through our rhythms of solitude with God, through our community rhythms, Sunday week by week, small groups week by week, in the ways we serve. I love how Ephesians 4, part of the vision for community is people are called to serve in unique ways in the way we serve, even in the way we give. And by the way, did you know that it's the last week of the financial year, so that if you have any top-up giving to do, we would love to welcome that as an active community so that we can make budget in March. Just Sorry, I just lost my place. Uh, <laughs> maybe. Wouldn't it be amazing if our small group life, and when we meet for coffee... Uh, and when people meet to serve here in the Hope Shop on Tuesdays, and day by day as they serve Wednesday through Saturday, as our property maintenance group meets, as we, as we meet people in the community, as we gather in our small groups on Sundays, wouldn't it be amazing if the vision of Ephesians 4 was being lived out more and more and more and more, and each one of us was being built up in love? I, I just, for me, that would be an amazing thing. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So my invitation is for each of us, would you take some time to reflect on what it would mean for you to be fully present uh, in this space? Because we need everybody to be a part of this labor of love, um, to be built up together And most of all, to hold the door wide open for other people to find and reclaim the reality that they were also created in the image of God. That they might be restored in the ways that we are being restored. So I invite you to take some time to reflect on on what that would mean for you to be more fully present in in our smaller slices of community, our small group rhythms, because you're needed. I've had the privilege of sitting in just about every small group now in the life of the church. There's just a couple more to do. So impressed with how needed people are 
so impressed with the commitment to prayer. You're needed. You're needed in those spaces. People need you. But you need it as well. I need it. I need it. And there's room, I think, for us to reflect on God's desire for us. Not because we want to um, tick boxes, but because He simply wants our hearts. You know, there's a funny thing that happens uh, at this time of the year uh, as census has happened. The, uh, the church um, nationally does a church life survey. You will be invited to be, we are invited to be part of it. We will be part of it in coming weeks. And do you know what the definition of regular church attendance is for the purposes of those statistics? How many times a month do you, th- do you think it is? Once a month is the definition of regular church attendance for statistical purposes. I don't need to say anything more, do I? <laughs> It blows my mind, um, this vision, this vision that God calls us to. Not because it's about ticking boxes, but so that he can have our hearts, so that we can be filled with the fullness of God. Because he wants our hearts soft, and he wants them open. There's so many stories of accountability that I could share I feel like I've been mainlining accountability in recent months. If you've had a chance to read the Outlook, um, you'll have read my Christmas card story. Who's read my Christmas card story? You can read my Christmas card story later. This was a moment for me of radical, radical acceptance. Um, But shortly before the Christmas card experience, I received another kind of community. And it made the, the radical acceptance, I think, all the more humbling. Because I got a dose of dangerous, dangerous authenticity. Some friends actually asked me out for coffee. I was actually um, quite excited because they'd been going out for ages. And so I figured they might be going to get engaged and they might ask me to marry them. And it would be my the first time I'd had the chance to do that. Well, I couldn't have been more wrong (laughs) about what they wanted to discuss. And it started off all kind of pleasant and kind of friendly, and then they dropped the bombshell. They were there to call me out on some behavior that they'd observed, that I had done. Talk about dangerous authenticity. (laughs) Talk about awkward accountability. It was awkward. But they were right. They were right to speak the truth in love. The only redeeming feature of it all was that I had literally, for this I am endlessly grateful, uh, It's a fig leaf moment, right? (laughs) This. That in the 24 hours before, I'd actually taken some steps to sort it out, which was at least something. But this was such a rich time of openness and honesty, and they gave me the gift of telling me that I wasn't alone, that I didn't need to hide from at least them. 
that I could get the support I needed. It was dangerous. It was a moment for repentance. But it was safe because they had my back. I was radically accepted and loved by them as Jesus loves us. See, yeah. And the strange thing about all of it is they were key initiators of the Christmas card that you can read about on the front page. That just a few short months later they were able to say, thank you for being truly pastor to us. Mind-blowing. See, radical acceptance and dangerous authenticity and these are a powerful combination which can give rise to these moments of awkward accountability, speaking the truth in love. And this is the beauty of rewired community. Will our church be able to live out of that place? It's not easy. It's not easy. But it's what we were created for. We were created for this. And it's what you and I are being recreated for in the image of God. Because image really is everything. I want you to take just a moment. This is why we have journals, so that you can just take a moment. Capture the thing that God is saying to you. The next growth step, if you like. What is the thing that you are feeling as a next step? Remember, a step is not, I will pray more, I will have more coffee, or that, that could be. A step is, this week I will meet with somebody. I will meet with Kay for a coffee so I can share the thing I'm going through. That's a step, right? Sorry, Kay, you're probably busy this week and... Take a moment, grab a step. 